0: Psalm 8 is a psalm or hymn of praise to God's greatness. According to the inscription for the choir director on the Gittith, a psalm of David, it was penned by David for the choir director. The word Gittith means winepress and refers to the use of the psalm in the harvest season. The term Gittith does not refer to a musical instrument, but rather to a tempo to which this psalm was to be accompanied. Most scholars agree that this is a marching Tempo. Now, David penned this psalm as a young man tending uh, to the sheep, and it denotes David's struggles to comprehend how this great God, who is glorified by the wonders of the creative universe, could possibly be glorified on earth through the frail and puny workings of people. And so he asks the question, what is man that you are mindful of him? As we think about that question in light of Psalm 8, and we can't help but think of current human injustices and prejudices. And as I go through Psalm 8, I think that human injustice and prejudices arise when we forget about the dignity of man as God created him. See, Psalm 8 is a reminder that God made man a little lower than God. It reminds us of Genesis 1.26, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion. You see, when one remembers that each person in the world, without regard to his or her ethnic background or social status, Each person in the world has been created in God's image, crowned with glory and honor, and given dominion over the works of God. And because of that, it is unforgivable to degrade or dishonor a person. So as we consider the greatness of God displayed in the creation of man from Psalm 8, in verses 1 and 2, we're going to see an appreciation of God. In verses 3 through 8, we're going to see an admiration of God. And then we'll close with verse 9, an adoration of God. Verses 1 and 2, appreciation of God. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. David begins his psalm by addressing God by his personal name, O Lord. Now that first Lord there is Yahweh, that's his personal name. And then he says, Our Lord, which is Adonai, O Yahweh, our master, our Lord. And see, he calls him by his personal name because God has chosen to make himself known to those in a relationship with him by that very personal name. As God revealed to Moses, I am who I am, Yahweh. He called Moses into a relationship with himself in Exodus 3.14. And when we know God's name, that personal name, it actualizes communion with him. This isn't the guy down the street. It's not the guy up in the sky. It's not the man upstairs. It's the personal covenant God who redeemed you out of the marketplace of sin. And his personal name is Yahweh. That name is not to be used by any other person other than those people in a relationship with him. Next, David gives value to God's name. How majestic is your name in all the earth. Majestic means at its root to be broad, to be large, to be powerful. How powerful is your name? And so to call God majestic is to call him incomparable in omnipotence or power. His name is majestic in all the earth. He is the one universal God throughout this planet. David continues, You displayed your splendor above the heavens. It's Yahweh's lordship over all things that reveals his glory. We see a similar thought in Psalm 104, verses 1 and 2. O Lord my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty, who cover yourself with light as with a garment, who stretch out the heavens like a curtain." The glory of God is witnessed to by the whole creation that is all of earth and all of heaven. As David continues, from the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength. You see, children as well as adults praise Yahweh because of His greatness. Through their worship of Him, whether it's the worship of of a child or the worship of an adult, God has ordained His strength or His stronghold because of your enemies, To make the enemy and the revengeful cease. See that newborn babes, if you will, are praising God even in their weakness and in their foolishness. God stops their enemies. Have you ever considered the fact that your worship of God with all of our weaknesses and foolishness is what in turn makes God stop our enemies. In like manner, Paul told the Corinthians that the preaching of Christ crucified is foolishness. God has chosen the foolish things of this world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, that no flesh should glory in His presence. 1 Corinthians 1, 27 and 29. When God's people, the weak and the strong, young and old, begin to praise His name, God rolls back the realm of Satan And his demons. Secondly, in verses 3 through 8, we have an admiration of God. So we have an appreciation of God. We appreciate who God is. But now we admire him. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God and you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heaven and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the seas. Recognizing the vastness of creation and the majesty of God in the heavens, we are now pressed by the question of our own identity and destiny. David meditates before the Lord when I consider, when I think, On the heavens, which are the works of your fingers, when I think about the moon and the stars which you have ordained. Now, right away, this identifies this psalm being written at night. There's David out there with his flock at night, and he's looking up at the heavens. He sees the stars. He sees the moon. And he's fixated on them. And what he sees with his limited knowledge of the stars and the moon causes him to be an incomprehensible awe of god today we wonder at the heavens with more data than was available to david's unaided eye and it's no wonder that david says what is man you know he's laying there he's just looking at all those stars and all the moon and the planets and so forth and he thinks man I'm, i'm a bug i'm an insignificant little bug i'm puny what is man You know, it's important to see, however, that for David, beyond the vastness of the universe, is the vastness of God. He understood that. The heavens are the works of your fingers. Okay? That means, as vast as the universe is, if it's merely the work of God's finger, how much more vast is God? God has molded the universe as a potter would form a jar on his turning wheel. No wonder, David says, that his name is majestic. No wonder his glory is above the heavens. The whole universe is sitting on his potter's wheel. The whole universe stands on his workbench. And it's before the majesty of the Creator God that David says, What is man that you take thought of him, and the son of man that you care for him? That adjective, thought, derives from the verb, remember zakar will God keep us in mind will he remember us the word care means to attend to or observe in other words God keeps his eye on us he observes us all day and all night his eyes are everywhere running to and fro over the face of the earth why to watch us not to watch anything else not to not to watch the ants, not to watch the bees, not to watch the birds, not to watch the the, the anything else in creation, but to simply watch you and me. Before such overwhelming physical odds, such seemingly endless space and time, God thinks and cares for us. Now, there's a twofold answer to this question, as given in verse 5. When David asserts our place in creation, you have made him, that's us, a little lower than God. Now, some translations use the term angels here. However, the Hebrew term used here is Elohim. And we see the first usage of Elohim in Genesis 1. In the beginning, Elohim created. Genesis 1.26, Then Elohim, God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. God wasn't talking to no angels. He was talking to to the Son and the Spirit. The fact that we are created a little lower than God means that we are made to represent Him in this world. We are to reflect His character. We're to live in a relationship with Him. Is that what we're doing? Are we representing God? Are we reflecting His character? Are we living in a relationship with Him? But there's something more. God has crowned Him with glory and majesty. Now the content of this crown is given in verse 6. We've been made to rule over the works of your hands, God's hands. Again, Genesis 1.26. Let them, male and female, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. That is our vocation. Our glory and honor are to be to the world as God's glory and honor are to the universe. When we look out at the vast universe, we may seem so small, but when we look at this world, we are great in God's purpose for us here us. the next parallel statement. You have put all things under man's feet. That's a symbol of sovereign reign. God has placed puny people on earth as his representatives, as his image bearers, to be sovereign over this earth. See, our greatness is in being made a little less than God and being placed on this world to exercise his sovereignty over this planet. And when we do that, when we do the job that God has given us, we are given, or giving rather, divine glory to God. Now, how do we respond to that? First, we need to respond by understanding that our greatness is only in relationship to God. You're not great, I'm not great because of who we are. We're great because we reflect God's image. And it doesn't come from evolution. It doesn't come from some alien life form. It doesn't come from some germ. It comes from God himself. The God who makes himself known makes us to know ourselves in him. Calvin said this. He said, there's no proper knowledge of humankind apart from the knowledge of God. You want to know why people have such varying views on what is man? It's because they don't have a right view of God. When we can look at people and look at them as less than a person, it's because we don't have a right view of God. When we can look down on someone else, it's because we don't have a right view of God. Second, we don't presently see the order of creation as we look at this world. Okay? In other words, you know, what God created and what we have today are vastly different because we live in a world cursed by sin. You see, humanity made to be a little lower than God by declaring itself to be a God has become a devil. You see, really humankind today is nothing more than, a, than the image of the devil. We are of our father, the devil, who has been a liar almost since the beginning. You see, the world that was created to be ruled by us has been raped by us instead. And so Psalm 8 points beyond itself to the redemption given in Christ. You see, as the second Adam, as the head of a new redeemed people, Jesus defeated sin, Satan, and death. And he will reign, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 25, till he has put all enemies under his feet. And even death itself will finally be destroyed. Paul told the Ephesians that Christ now reigns, having put all things under his feet. And Hebrews 2, 5-9, and Psalm 8, 4-6 is in the process of being fulfilled in Christ. We can't fully fulfill what our intended purpose was to reign and roll over planet Earth. So God sent his Son, Jesus Christ, to become a man. And in so becoming a man, in redeeming us, in putting down Satan. He takes back the keys to the kingdom. And you and I, as his children, are someday going to reign and rule with him. But right now, he's already in the process of putting all things under his feet. See, the final answer to the question, what is man, is ultimately answered in Christ, the head of this new humanity. It is Christ who has restored this fallen creation. It is Christ who will return and consummate all things in himself. And as God comes to this earth, or came to this earth in his Son, the greatness of God. And the grandeur of the cosmos are met in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now finally, verse 9, we have adoration of God. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. The final chorus repeats verse 1. Yahweh, our Adonai, how majestic, how all-powerful is your name in all the earth. Friends, our place in God's order evokes this final note of praise. You and I, as we begin to discover our divine destiny, and that is to reign and rule with Christ, we will participate in making God's name excellent or majestic in all the earth. You need to ask yourself, what are you doing to make God's name majestic or all-powerful in the earth? You say, well, what can I do? Well, what do you say? How do you act? How do you behave yourself? What are you doing? When people see you, do they see Christ? In Christ, this is our certainty. It is Christ who bears the divine name Yahweh, which equals Lord. As Paul told the Philippians, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, and those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth, that's those in hell, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friend, your job, your vocation right now is to proclaim with your lips and your life, that Jesus Christ is Lord. May we rejoice in the greatness of God as we look at ourselves and one another and see that though puny as we may be, we're created in the image and likeness of God to be His representatives on earth, to point other people to Him so that they may have the image of God restored so that they too may glorify God for his greatness. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for Psalm 8. We thank you for this wonderful text that not only speaks of your greatness, but causes us to consider ourselves. And Father, it is always good for us to consider not only ourselves, but what we do and what we say. I ask, Father, to that end, that all that we say and do would magnify you, would glorify you, would declare your power, your praise throughout all the earth. That, Father, as we minister to one another and as we minister to the lost, as we minister to others, that, Father, we wouldn't see them as less than. We wouldn't see others and think less of them. But that, Father, we may look at them and see they are vessels, broken vessels, but vessels that you designed, designed to declare your greatness. And that, Father, we may reach out to them and share the gospel with them, share the hope of salvation, that they may come to that place of repentance and faith where you can grab hold of that broken vessel and make it fit for your use. Thank you for making us fit for your use. Thank you for restoring your image in us. Thank you for the opportunity to go out and to display that image in a lost and pagan world. We pray in your son's name, amen.